This podcast is part of the Cannabis Media Collective. To enjoy all of the podcasts within the collective, just go to your favorite streaming app or site and subscribe to the Cannabis Media Collective. For more info, check out distinctmedia.ca. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Canadian Cannabis Update. We're a Canadian-based podcast that gives leaders and organizations an opportunity to tell their stories and share information. Before we begin today, a quick shout out to our sponsors. Firstly, Harvest Medicine. So if you're curious about medical cannabis, check them out because they're a patient-centric clinic which offers free medical assessments for people just like you looking to explore how medical cannabis can help improve your life. To learn more... You can check them out and book your free consultation with Harvest Medicine by visiting hmed.ca. That's their website. It's hmed.ca, Harvest Medicine. And we're also sponsored by GrowTech Labs. Now, the mission of GrowTech Labs is to bring together a new generation of diverse cannabis sector innovators from across Canada and around the globe. GrowTech Labs is located in Vancouver and helps entrepreneurs develop market-leading products for the recreational and medical cannabis industries by combining access to financing and with delivery of world-class programs rooted in innovation, entrepreneurship, and mentorship. GrowTech Labs intends to expand British Columbia's influence as a global cannabis capital. And hey, if you would like to sponsor Canadian Cannabis Update, reach out to me at cannabisupdate.ca and I will send you a media kit. All right, this one's not your normal podcast out of me. Let's call this one a freebie. I found out very last minute that there was a panel discussion with a Q&A happening in Calgary. This event was put on by MNP and moderated by a gentleman by the name of Scott Leluc from MNP Calgary. The featured guests were Tony Loria. He's the Principal Managing Director and Head of Investment Banking of 8 Capital. Trevor Fancott, he's the CEO of Fire and Flower. Adam Miran, he's the co-founder and chief brand officer of Hexo. Tanil Birds, that's B-U-R-D-Z. She's a risk advisor from Iridium Risk Services Incorporated. And finally, Greg Levins. He's the chief financial officer with Edmonton-based LP Atlas Growers. So needless to say, an awesome panel. So without much planning and no way to see the venue beforehand, I put my digital recorder into a bag and made my way down there. Now, I have to impress upon you that this was very last minute, so unfortunately, the only option I had for recording was to put my digital recorder in front of a speaker and hope for the best. The sound in the room was not very good at all, so after the event was done, I took the recording home to my studio and tried to make everything as audible as possible. So, I've decided to go ahead and publish this content because there's a lot of great insight here, but be warned, some of the clips do not sound that great. Also, I revoiced the questions for the most part myself so they're more clear. Again, sorry for the overall sound quality and thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. As a cannabis retailer that's been open since day one of legalization, what are some of the product and consumer trends that you can share with us? Dry flowers by far the dominant. Uh, things like pre-rolls or kind of processed cannabis uh, accounts for a much smaller percentage than we would have thought. If you do look at the, the black market, it would be sort of six, seven dollar uh, pre-rolls would be a dominant item at point of sale. But uh, we, we don't see that here, but I think that's mostly due to supply issues. Uh, and then oils are not a significant uh, not a significant sales category because again the oils that we have are, are largely sort of repurposed health uh, oils or like health wellness oils. So their use is really 
more limited to kind of things like a pre uh, a pre-mix for cooking or something. You you know you would like a capsule is not really a very helpful form or recreational cannabis. That's what we're seeing. As the market continues to evolve, what is the current state of the market and appetite of insurers in cannabis? I hope it's going to change in five minutes. So, um, when we started, we had very little available, very little coverage. Uh, it's growing. We have more insurers today than we did last month. Um, more are coming into the market all the time. New products, uh, things like product recall. It's growing, it's getting better, it's broader coverage than it used to be. So uh, that's another thing is if you have coverage now when you're renewing and you're looking forward to your renewal, it'll be interesting to see what is available at that time. I think it's important to ask this question, what can I get when next week rolls around and my policy renews again? Uh, definitely take a look at that and your limits, check your limits, uh, products, recall being the biggest one, definitely. Uh, make sure your business corruption and your extra expense because you're growing, you're getting bigger, you're selling more. Make sure those numbers are What's the difference between IFF, which are ingredients for food, and CFG, consumer packaged goods model? The difference between IFF and consumer packaged goods companies. I think IFF is the first half of that equation. I would love to say that we're going to become a consumer packaged goods company. We will model some of that, but the reality is, is that a CPG company owns the end product and they own the experience. I believe that the IFF can contribute to the experience because I kept going on about technology in the hub. But what I really mean by technology is not just getting hot. I want to be really clear about that because I didn't go talk much about that. Is that as we design experiences, and as we said, experiences for sleep, or experiences for diet, or experiences for anti-inflammation, you know, those kind of unique experiences, I think our R&D team has shown that they can start to pull from the cannabinoids and how they're applied to these products. So IFF, first half of the CPG model, and that's where we want to go. Excellent. What major factors influence your methodology when evaluating questions to invest in? Uh, well, I think that's kind of a trapdoor question because it's, it's like... Um, there's so many variables, and, 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 and to be honest with you, it's probably not a consistent uh, methodology at all uh, that we should be using. And, uh, there's so much going on from a jurisdictional perspective. Um, people, you know, vertical integration, different sectors, different growth models, and, and where you're going to look at, um, you know, uh, in regards to market penetration, and it's innovation and ability to grow in that innovation. It's partnerships with with major um, major industry uh, leaders around the world, um, and you know it's it's just a, it's it's growing. On the other side of the, what I mean by that, I mean the subsectors are growing. As I said earlier, methodologies are going to be a lot more create a lot more variability, and um, you know on the other side of the coin, what's really more important is is really the assumptions and the methodology that. That the uh, that the companies make in their in, in, in coming up with their models and, and going out with their numbers, it's that's really the critical. Like, you know, what what are they doing? You know, can we validate the assumptions? Can we get into the and understand you know what they're saying and and agree with them? And are those assumptions realistic? And 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 what kind of sensitivities do they do? And how much that sensitivity really? Variate to, to come up with their answers because you can see things happen. You see a lot of you see sensitivities, and you can see all sorts of value, valuations just go up and down. 
you know, I can tell you, just take a look at the stock market and you can see over the last six months when I'm talking about volatility, you know, what's really happened. I mean, there's a lot of regulatory issues, but in the day, the secular move is still, you know, and it's in a, in a, in a big, you know, upward movement. So I think that's, you know, it, well, I'm sorry, it's a bit long-winded an answer, but it's a very important question because, you know, just, it is a trap door and I would never, uh, and I believe our firm, even though we may see it like 50-50, it's, there's just so much more behind it in making those kinds of valuation decisions. Your company is about to become publicly listed. Why is that important to Fire and Flower? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for us, and I, and I think that um, there's obviously capital markets, and this is going to be a capital-intensive uh, endeavor, so I think that's, that's, that's one of the reasons. But the other reason that people aren't really aware of a lot, though, is regulatory. So one of the ways that the system in Canada works is each of the provinces we have uh, a license uh, with, and we have some, uh, a site license for each of our stores. So, for example, in Alberta, as a private company, uh, we would be obliged, and uh, it's a sensible system, we're just very convinced, is that each shareholder has to be investigated and approved by the AGLC in Alberta. Uh, and that becomes very complicated very quickly. So, uh, the same thing in, in Ontario, the same thing in British Columbia. So, for us, a primary driver actually was to, to simplify a regulatory burden because, again, for us to move quickly, and I think in, in the emerging retail landscape, uh, moving very quickly and aggressively is going to be key, uh, it was important for us to be streamlined. So, uh, now that our shareholders of uh, February 19th will all be uh, public, the regulators here could focus on compliance in the in the province and making sure that it's not being sold to people underage and making sure that you know that that, that you're complying with with their uh, the regulations rather than kind of worrying about the uh, who is a good corporate actor and who the shareholders are. So it's kind of a we actually you know we obviously love the capital markets part of it. We're going to need capital, but I think the thing that people don't realize is that uh, that sort of from a regulatory perspective, it streamlines the process a lot. Excellent. Adam, you were talking about your ingredients for your food model. How do you replicate that model with other Fortune 500 companies? Um, I think beverage is a pretty obvious one. There's a big demand for it. We're starting to see it happen in the U.S. When we look to, you know, I think the easiest example there is edibles. Um, for us, edibles means a lot of things. As, as you may recall from seeing on that, there's baked goods, there's dairy, there's confectionery. There's all of these different considerations to edibles. I think a lot of people just think gummy bears, and I can tell you I'm not that interested in gummy bears. But I am interested in well-known established brands of packaged goods that people do like to consume on the regular. Um, and you know how we replicate that is providing the value that we bring, right? We're not just a grower, we're not just a supplier. Uh, a supply agreement with these kind of companies would not be a sustainable business model for us to have a long-term vision. But what is, is that if we can position ourselves as the technology partner, and build a moat around that from our competitors, and really actually put so much branding power into power by Hexo, then, if we do it right, they come to us. And they say, we want our products powered by Hexo, versus, oh yeah, it just has cannabis in it. And, and that's what we're trying to do, and I think we do that again with trust, and building that accountability and reliability that people can find when they see consistently powered by Hexo on all of this. We are beginning to see big beverage and tobacco companies making investments in the cannabis industry. We have Hexo and Molson, Constellation Brands and Canopy, and Altria and Kronos. Do you expect to see this trend continue? And if so, what impact will it have on the cannabis industry? Uh, most definitely. Um, I take a look at it, kind of flip the coin the other way, and, and you know, why is this happening? I mean, it's this is a 
again, a global secular move, view it kind of almost like once in a once in a kind of company cycle, maybe multiple cycles. And you know, a lot of these companies that you're talking about, you know, they are dying for innovation and they're looking to give you know the consumer a new experience. And instead of having to figure out if we should, you know, do you think this purple would be better than this color purple? You know, they get to think about, wow, look how we can really change behavior and look at the things that we can do to really increase our brand recognition and increase market share and add multiples of hundreds of millions of dollars to the, you know, the sales line. Like, okay, like that's how I look at it. So when you flip it on the other side, I mean, the, the answer is, of course, I mean, it, it's, it's the main driver um, globally. People are, you know, all these companies, mid-size, large conglomerates, they're all looking. And uh, so I think, it, you know, we just started seeing the, the initial impact. Um, I think, you know, companies like Hexo have been able to develop, you know, some, you know, you know relationship and more to come, I'm sure, with, with leading players. Um, some will be created, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I think it's still in its infancy. Cannabis is a merging sector for the majority of the insurance market. What types of claims have arisen in the last 24 months? I think, again, directors and officers, that is where we are seeing the majority of claims right now. Uh, short sellers are definitely, that's your, your big problem for public. We're seeing it in private as well. There are still data claims to private uh, vendors and shareholders and those promises to investors. So those need to be fulfilled. A lot of misrepresentation, and that is whether intentional or unintentional, um, shareholders are getting together and they, those were where the suits are coming from as well. Uh, product recall, we will continue to see these. It's still a new industry. We're still dealing with, there's there's different factors all the time. Uh, transportation will probably be one of the next ones we'll start to see planes that are covered to start to come up on that. Uh, cargo and the like, because the company who's maybe doing your transport, they might not have the coverage, it might be excluded. So we should check that too. Um, and that's where we're going to start to see some more claims on that as well. So those are probably our big areas uh, and equipment breakdown. So your facilities, uh, your equipment that is very high tech and very, very complicated and it's sensitive. So make sure those will probably start to see claims. Some licensed producers are seeing an opportunity to be an international exporter of medical cannabis. With more and more countries regulating medical cannabis production, are Canada's exports a short-term play, or will modernization of cannabis see Canada as a leader in cultivation and processing for years to come? That's a uh, crystal ball type question. Uh, very difficult to answer, but I think there is a, a, a window of, uh, say, three to five years where uh, Canadian producers will have uh, certainly the first mover advantage, uh, just given our experience, and uh, it takes a long time to develop uh, quality control. Uh, so I, I think a lot of the uh, Canadian producers that are going into Europe and other markets are going to be chasing uh, more the medical uh, product market, which requires uh, higher standards of quality. Um, so I think we do have that head start, but of course uh, the U.S. is probably not that far behind. It's hard to say what's going to happen with uh, countrywide legalization, but most people would think it's anywhere from, say, a year to three years away. So 
Uh, it'll be hard to compete with with players that have the, the scale and the access to capital that uh, U.S. players will. But I think we do have that uh, that really uber advantage and the box and then Adam from Hexa was asked if he would like to expand on that. Uh, I agree. Three to five years seems pretty reasonable. Um, I mean, if, if you're a licensed producer, no matter how much you say you're a recreational marijuana company uh, and you export, you're still in the medical business because that's what you're exporting to is the medical markets internationally. Let's be clear about that. Um, and then I think there's going to be a huge shift. Uh, I mean, at least from our line, I mean, think about what we're talking about. What we're talking about doing is effectively becoming a uh, a reactor, uh, a molecular reactor of cannabinoids. And, you know, where those cannabinoids come from, where they were grown, will become a big question, right? And and I think that we are going to need to look at that. So it's not just to be a question about the exporting, but it will very quickly become a question about importing. As we look specifically to uh, transform products, oils and resins, I, I know for a fact that, well, I don't know for a fact, but I feel very strongly that, and I'm, and I'm sure Trevor will back me up on this, is that there will always be a place for products like Atlas and what they're looking to do in that high high quality handcrafted product. That's not going anywhere, but the market is shifting as new market opens up. And you know, and we're, we're not talking about just penetration of the existing consumer market, we're talking about new market expansion, and that's where the transform products are really gonna play a huge role. Uh, and I think that, again, when, when we talk import, we need to really quickly start Pardon me, when we talk export, we really quickly need to start talking about import as well. Uh, I, and I absolutely agree with, with both those comments. I think that from a retail perspective, what we, what I think we will see as well uh, is that import uh, modality. So uh, whereas we have things like terroir and wine, where it becomes important where this is produced, because again, if you assemble, the cannabis plant self-assembles, so you get given light and it, it self-assembles right from the ground and then the soil, the nutrients. So, we will start to see things like, in, in our vision, as curating this experience of cannabis for our customers, is we will start to see the kind of the Juan Valdez of kind of roaming the world and bringing cannabis to our consumers. And we should walk to our store and they should be able to access flour from Colombia or Venezuela, you know, or any other product. I think we're starting to see that. And, and so it's a little bit of a different uh, take on the, the process stuff. I think we're going to see um, you know, raw product important for them, these companies as well. So. Excellent, thank you. Next question, Adam from Hexo again. What is the next Fortune 500 company that you're looking to sign with? Uh, <laughs> we're a public company currently in lockout. Listen, great question to not answer. Uh, look, you know, of all of them that are out there, babes are furthest away. Uh, that, you know, we're, we're very serious on the Edel's side. Uh, we've got a great team, we've got a big team that, that's, that spends their days looking at these partners, potential partners, exploring, meeting, having these kind of conversations that we need to, but cosmetics is huge. Let's not deny that. We're, we're starting to see that being talked about more and more and more. CBD, I think, is, is much more than just a health and wellness product. I think it's actually a political access point into to the future for our industry because at least from our end, and what I've seen with some of the other licensed producers was that we went with the line of, you know, let's end the black market, let's let's defeat criminal activity, and then it kind of shifted to let's make it really safe. And all of that kind of resonated, but it didn't really bring home where people were like, all right, let's do it, let's embrace this with open arms. Polling data shows that it hasn't been overwhelmingly endorsed. Provincial governments are slow to get on board. 
you know, what I think is going to be the winning argument for us is CBD. And CBD is this health and wellness and live a better life with an all-natural product is where it's going to really start to be that entry point. Uh, so the reason I say that is because I see CBD playing such a huge role in that cosmetic spoke of, of our strategy. Um, you know, and, and it's everything. There, there's research right now that's coming out about particular cannabinoids that work incredibly well for Andrew. Again, back to my comment about not all of this is about getting high. Um, you know, there's different there's different compounds and cannabinoids that are looking like, contrary to what you might believe, that are actually shown to be quite strong appetite suppressants. Think about that compared to the you know stereotypical concept of what cannabis does to your appetite. There's all these different applications from health, wellness, cosmetics. So I think, which one's next? I can't tell you. Uh, but uh, the future's bright. There's a ton of great options, and uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, this is one of the older states, but is there anything to uh, make me look young? <laughs> <laughs> Coverage in the space can be overwhelming as a new or existing customer. What considerations should be made by companies when seeking insurance in the space? Know your risk and ask questions. Probably the most important. Don't be afraid to ask what you might think is a stupid question. You are not an insurance person. You're not expected to know, um, and when you make changes to your business, when your plan changes, when your direction changes, let your insurance company know as well. Make sure that you have that coverage. I think a lot of companies, there's a lot of evolution happening. You might start out in one space and move into a different, or you might shift, and that I've already seen it in a couple of companies. We started here, we're going to end up here, but they don't say anything. I, you know, it's the, it's the client who calls me an hour before I walk into this presentation that says to me, by the way, we just merged with a U.S. company. And my response is, you have no coverage. So ask the questions and don't be afraid to tell people what you're going to do. It's not a secret when you're talking to your insurance broker or the underwriter. They're not just going to cancel your coverage that second if you have the conversation before it happens. So let them know. Be aware. They have, there are privacy laws. They can't tell everybody what you're going to do, but you need to let them know. And I think it's important that everybody considers not just what you're doing today, but have the future. The future is very, very important when you are considering the risk that your company has. So just keep that in mind. Thank you. Next question is for you, Tony. Uh, a lot of the capital that has been raised in this industry thus far has been primarily retail. Is Canada the market of choice for international investments you see down the road? Uh, yeah, I think Canada's done a, a great job to, to date in creating a ecosystem where you have lawyers and accountants and insurance companies and uh, CSE and TSX that allows um, you know, capital to flow. And, and at the same time, allow um, individual investors the ability to invest as well, uh, which will then also attract the institutional investment community. So we feel very good about you know, that ecosystem. Um, we think there's gotta be some changes and we think we can, as, a, as an ecosystem, we probably need to improve um, in some areas, uh, but uh, yeah, we believe, and the numbers show it. I mean, we, you know, from a, um, a entry point in, in transactions and financings, uh, the number of non-Canadian institutions 
that are investing have in some cases tripled and quadrupled um, in, in uh, certain companies. So, uh, you know, we feel very good. We can't be complacent. Uh, we need to innovate and we need to stay in the front end. Lots of other um, uh, exchanges and areas would love to take some of this. And, uh, you know, it's important for us uh, to uh, stay on top of it. Thank you. Question for Trevor. From your perspective, what do you think 2019 holds for cannabis retail in Canada? Well, I think that what we're going to see in general is a, is a much slower rollout than people anticipated in the, in the summer. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's tied one-to-one uh, -one with the supply issues because I'm not actually convinced that the supply was really the problem. A lot of it was sort of early growing pains of, of uh, lack of communication. Right, so I think we, you know, um, it's not so much that there wasn't stuff there. It's just basically the original bodies didn't know how to access the right LPs, or, or there was some you know, political thing that stopped it from coming. The cameras are coming over the mountains because of your pipeline. So there's, there's that kind of stuff. So I think those will, those will sort themselves out. Um, uh, but I think that the rollout will be slower, and and I think that what's happened is there's sort of initial um, uh, influx of sort of capital and energy into the system. I had enthusiasm in the system, and we're now going to have to kind of just normalize it and, and get down to business and you know, operate these businesses, grow them sort of more organically. So, um, you know, lots of um, smaller businesses opened up cannabis stores. Uh, I don't think the utopian dream was realized. It's very hard to run a store. You're going to be constantly running, uh, you're doing inventory, and especially a compliance store. A regulatory compliance store is just unbelievably hard to do. So I think we're going to see that in 2019, a bit of a shakeout. Um, I think we're going to see consolidation because, again, I think a lot of people got into the space. You know, this is this is amazing. I'm going to quit my day job and run a cannabis store, um, and and that I think is is as hard a job as what they're coming from. So we're going to see some consolidation. And I guess the other observation I think um, will be important is to look at the edibles regulations that they come in uh, for October 17th. And you know, I still think that they're generally on track, but. They're going to really change the way, again, they're going to change the way that, that we as Canadians consume cannabis. And, and, and that, I think, is going to get us closer to the objective of bringing the black market into, into the white. Because right now, uh, you know, we're not even, we're not even close like, as, a, as, a, as an industry. Um, I think 2% of, of, uh, of the purchases are legal ones. So we've got a lot of work to do there. I think 2019 is going to see that, that turning point as we get products that people actually want to consume versus sort of this is what they can or are allowed to consume. Uh, and as we give, uh, give them better access points, I mean, like, you know, we, we, we should be proud as a country that we've got legal cannabis, but we shouldn't really be that proud that, that, that the provinces have pulled it up so slowly because, you know, at a certain point, uh, there's, a, there's an unfortunate news article about a, a retailer in Brownwood who just closed up shop because he said, look, I just, I, I can't, my, my customers have come in and said, I just, I, I've done going back to the black market. So we run that risk. We have to be more aggressive on that on that front. But um, I, I do think 2019 is going to be exciting. All right. That about wraps it up. Now, I didn't include all of the questions or introductions because the sound just wasn't very great in parts. So that said, I do have the full session recorded and would be happy to send it to anyone who might want to listen to it. If you want a copy, just email me at canadiancannabisupdate at gmail.com and I will happily send you a copy. Thanks again. <laughs>
Thanks once again for listening to the Canadian Cannabis Update podcast. If you have a story that you'd like to share about the cannabis space, I would love to hear from you. Hit me up at CanadianCannabisUpdate at gmail.com or my website, CannabisUpdate.ca. And if you want to find out more about Canadian Cannabis Update and all of the other podcasts in the Cannabis Media Collective, check us out on Twitter at CanMedCall, just like Cannabis Media Collective, but abbreviated. And you can also find out more about us on Facebook, Instagram, and every podcast-related streaming site in the known universe. Check us out, the Cannabis Media Collective. All right, hit a number. The media contributors within the Cannabis Media Collective do our very best to remain as accurate as possible, but take no responsibility for any inaccurate details or facts. If a story interests you, we're glad to have brought it to your attention, but please take the time to research the details for yourself.